0: Do you like to read? Are you tired of the podcasts out there that just skim the surface of books? Or how about the book clubs that are designed to just get you to buy the book? Yeah, we were tired of those too. My name is Alan and along with my friend Phil, I was tired of all of those superficial discussions of books. We wanted something deeper. So we created this podcast for us to discuss what we wanted to dive deep into the books we read. Are you ready? Because this ain't your mother's book club. This is Two Dudes with an Opinion. I love it. So, anyway, we've been like chatting and chatting. Who knows if I'll put this section in the free version. We were talking let's see, about... Oh, decentralized command. That's right. You were talking about that. So yeah, we did not get through the entire section <laughs> last time. <laughs> I told I you see. it was a long one. Uh, it's a long one for you. <sighs>
1: okay, fine. In, in Phil's world, it was long, but it's beautiful. Okay. Where did we leave off? I, I go back to everything that matters for me, matters for me. <laughs> So we we, we uh, let off to, uh, kind of. It, I think was a good transition. We went through all the principles, and we um we had gone through uh, what we talked about, um, what it takes to help leaders beca- learn to become independent, Right, uh, kind of the principles behind uh, decentralized command. And we are just about to get back into the story where it transitions back to the, where they are, have that bad feeling, uh, but they have snipers that they need to wipe off the face of God's great earth.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, go.
1: Okay. So here, there I was, um,
0: <laughs> every good C story starts with two, uh, one of two phrases, so there I was, or and hold my beer. Respond with, no shit. <laughs> and um, the other one is, hold my beer.
1: Hold my beer.
0: <laughs> That's the other one. <laughs> nice. You know, you, you know you're going to get a good C. You know you're going to get a C- good C story when someone uh, says, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, good things are about to happen to, in the it's world. It's inevitable. <laughs> uh,
1: my kids are uh, getting to Terry Pratchett, so... Uh, it's funny. All right. So, um, right now we've just essentially realized, uh, that we have, here's, here's what, uh, Jocko's trying to organize. He's got two army battalions. He's got over a hundred, uh, armored mechanized vehicles, and he's got aircraft. He's got tons of different networks, uh, communication networks and he has what two uh snipers uh seal teams doing overwatch charlie and bravo a delta if all that sounds right and somebody calls in uh possible snipers on the roof and they got a uh an m1 m1 uh, abram commander about to blow up that whole building to put glorious enemy guts all over the city uh in little tiny particles and it's gonna be great. But Jocko's not he's you can see that he's not having a real good feeling about it. Uh now keep in mind the book opened with uh Jocko's experience with um was it Jocko's or late? I think it was Jocko's experience with uh friendly fire
0: Oh, yeah. It's a uh, Jocko. Um, although I think life was a part of the, uh, the he might've been in this team. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: So, um, it, it, it's in some ways we're having flashbacks of this. We're having the, uh, the terrible fe- the terrible experience of these guys having people becoming murdered, uh, murdered and, uh, lifelong handicaps between blindness. I'm getting, I'm getting the, the intuition that some guys never could walk again after some of their injuries, stuff like that. And, and exactly in this area. So mm-hmm. they're wondering if they are, if they found, uh, the sniper team that has caused them a lot of casualties. And so they're dealing with the reality of a lot of moving parts with the opportunity to get some payback and to, uh, the emer- the feeling of if they don't respond very quickly, these snipers may kill some of their guys. Right? So there's a lot of pressure from every imaginable angle. And the Bradley, the tank commander is calling. He's like, I want to go ahead and fire. Right. And he's like, okay, look, just one more time, verify where you're at. And the troop commander, he's like, I've already verified. I'm going to go ahead. And he's like, hold on. Right. Just look to you, basically look to your right and count the number of buildings between this other road and you. And there's a long silence. And the commander comes back and says, uh, finally, uh, we miss, a." We, we did a misidentification location and they were in, it was just like silence, right? If they had gone any further, they would have blown up their CLT. And uh, I, with a, with tank fire, there's no coming back. Those bullets are not a joke. I mean, it's just, You say bullet, I say shell. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I don't know if people have a, a a vision of what a shell is. No, they don't. I mean, does wait.
0: Do you know? You know, I really, I actually don't. That's the interesting thing. Hold on. So, it's an M1 Abrams, right? Yep,
1: M182 Abram, I think. Uh, what is it 155 mm?
0: Well. Okay, so that's, the come on, give me the uh, main armament, uh, M1, 105 millimeter, L1, yeah, rifled gun, smoothbore gun, yeah, we'll just do that one, Um, doo, 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 doo. barrel length, caliber 105, maximum. okay, yes, I get that, oh, here we are. Uh, yeah, these things are massive. Oh. Do, 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 do. Uh, just to give you all an idea, it's a, a diameter of about four inches, which is actually like seems small when you think about it, but it's actually really massive. Um, well, I mean, that's more than the length of your fingers. Exactly. <laughs> so you, you, know, you know, oh, wait, 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 hold on. Where? Ah, crud. Where is. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, okay, if we take the propellant as uh, so, sh- so, we're looking at about seven to eight kilograms, yeah, close I've seen mass 12 pounds for some reason. Um, which is, yeah, which is close to 20
1: pounds, yeah, 17 18 pounds. Uh, so big, big bullets, what, uh, you know, the weight of like a taller, yeah, right? yep not a baby right uh, like a toddler so um the, the, there's and of course there's different realms there's ones that they go boom there's ones that go through things and suck things out the other side <laughs> they, they have all kinds of stuff there's some, some some they're just like pretty lights right just those shiny lights you know nice um all very peaceful all very loving uh in the army kind of love way army so, kind of love way you there um so,
0: so yeah, yeah. I pressed for a second. Yeah, I, I lost you for a second. I'm like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> just laughing about army love.
1: Um, so uh, you know, they I mean, threw what they call heat, which is just basically <laughs> an explosive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the shrapnel range on that would, but there, there's nobody in the building that yeah. Um Just one, and I, I imagine they both probably a couple at it until the building crumbled. So, so
0: the, the 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 point that let's. Put a little bow on this. The point is that they would have been gone. That the team, the, the seal team that was in the building that they were looking at—maybe oh, I shouldn't say seal team, but anyway—the seals that were in the building that they were looking at at getting rid of—they would have been gone. There's just they would not have SEAL survived. Team. And so, what is it about this situation and what they did that allowed them? Uh, And I, and I mean the, uh, the, uh, the army and everybody to figure out, no, this is not what, no, we don't want to fire here. This is a bad idea. The army didn't figure it out. Uh, It was
1: really Jocko that pulled them back and made them re-identified. Now you got to keep in mind that Delta team had to move from their original location Mm -hmm. right so they weren't where everybody's expecting them like everybody in their mind knew that the teams are gonna be here and here and those are you know those are our teams right but all of a sudden uh, they had to move and maybe the message didn't get located or rights or there was a a lower sense of uh, attention to detail because of changes that happened in the field and Mm -hmm. I'm not making fun of anybody for that that's that's natural Right. And that's why you have to be able to have um, de- decentralized command. I'm trying to find another word for it. <laughs> but that's, well, that's why you, you need to, re- uh, leaders need to be able to remove themselves and still stay in the loop uh, to observe these things and to communicate
0: with the, the other key leaders to make decisions together quickly. So, what you are saying so one of the things that I want to, um, two things that I want to point out with what you just said. Uh, one is, um, oh, crud. I missed it. I was also trying to see if I could find it as well. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, crud. Oh yeah, uh, one of the things that you just said is that essentially discipline became lax uh, with some of these missions and, and things like that, and uh, where, So basically, that means um, you. Well, how do they? They put it really nicely in the book. It's um, to, you. you uh, it's what you tolerate. That's what it is. Um, if you accept perf- poor performance, that performance becomes the new standard, and so it, it's not about what you preach; it's about what you tolerate. So I'm sure these commands did preach a, a lot along the lines of, "Hey, the we need to make sure we maintain discipline. We need to maintain discipline. We need to maintain discipline. Things like that." But they probably tolerated a lot of lax laxity. In their discipline and so that's kind of one of the things that led to it now the other aspect of what you just said is it is so here here's one of the interesting things and this is the hardest thing i've noticed for engineers specifically um engineers we are very detail oriented people by nature and by training, um, I say that I say by nature because uh, there that seems to be one of the common traits that I find among a lot mm-hmm. of engineers. Um, when they come into it, they they tend to be very, uh, anal. You know, like just what, anal, yeah. Like very um, detail oriented. Like what, some of the work, some of the best slash worst engineers that I run that I've run into, uh, they get very pedantic about things. Um, so, like you give them a definition of a, a certain word, and that that definition is not exactly what they think it should be. Um, they they have they have to correct you. Like they absolutely have to. And it, it's one of those things where it's like. It, in, in some ways you may sit there and be like that's stupid why are we being that anal about that definition of a, a word we we shouldn't have to be if we all have a general understanding and in some way uh, in other ways it's like you know we do need clarity we need to be sure that we are clear in our speech and everything that we are we're saying um so anyway uh but, exactly um Hey, do you if you're gonna lean forward? Can you move your um your uh mic with you too? Yeah, sorry man. Does it make any noise when I move? So sometimes, it, like when you first tap on it, the uh, springs will start vibrating. But if you have your fingers on it, like just gently on it and gently move it, you're not going to get any um any vibration and things like that. Uh, the main okay. thing is, is just the way the, the mic is set up. So when you lean forward, you lean out, you're leaning out of the pickup range. So it sounds really different. Um, <laughs> All right, cool. I'm trying to avoid the other noise. Yeah. I understand. understand. Well, no, like I said, um, if you, if you leave yourself unmute while that mute noise is going on in the background and just leave like a, a blank spot of you not talking, I can capture that and I can get rid of it. It's really, it's really easy. Um, i love modern technology uh but so engineers tend to get like very detail oriented and and one of the difficulties is when an engineer moves from like the co- coding side to more of the managerial side you have to learn all new skills and everything Soft And ah I don't even like the phrase soft skills. I don't anymore. Like I used to think, oh, hard skills, soft skills. The idea is that like with a hard skill, it's a skill that you can measure and with a soft skill, you can't necessarily measure it. Um, but like I'm not exactly a huge fan of that myself anymore because I think skills are skills. Um and, and trying to classify, and, and on top of that, you kind of also, essentially, when you start classifying them that way, you make it so. Oh well, this person doesn't have these skills, and, and and isn't going to. Well, you can learn both. You're just not necessarily going to be really good at one or the other. There, there's just one that you're going to be more gravitate towards. But I'm pretty I'm sure
1: you- I've seen evidence that some people can't. <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm just throwing that out there we, we all know those people um get pat we got to get past of our extreme ownership and sometimes fire people Uh that said
0: i digress there's actually uh i, I will go into that digression at some point because there's funny stories and stuff um anyway the point is that very often what happens with engineers when they move into the, the the managerial role, especially like during the first six months of them being there and when they don't have another like a mentor who's been a manager over them or working with them is those engineers still get like sucked into the details of things. Like they just want to focus in laser-like and just continue working detail after detail after detail. And it's just like... It's ridiculous. And and it gets actually very frustrating for the people who are under them because it's like you're because when when you are a, a manager and you start focusing in on details, what you've done essentially is cross over into the line of micromanagement. Your frontline workers are you need to sit there and actually understand you are no longer the expert on on, on this stuff. And and that, That's and a hard that, thing
1: for a lot of managers to accept. I think uh, to be honest, everybody that's made that transition has a hard time with that because um, you, at some point you look back and like it was nice. It was so nice and warm in your space. You finally were feeling yourself great. You you knew everything. Uh, you're efficient and you could get the task done. And all of a sudden you're in a management position and you have to all of a sudden like you're – a junior dev rely on the other people again and you fought
0: so hard to get away from that. Yep. Yep, exactly. And, and your performance is very much measured by the performance of the people under you. And whereas when you were a, an engineer, your performance was measured by you alone and not other people. Yes. Other people affected it, but it was mainly you. So the whole, like It's very difficult, and that's kind of what Jocko is getting at and what you kind of alluded to er- earlier is the the frontline people are the ones who they need to be uh, a part of the – um. they need to be fo- laser-focused in on that stuff. They need to see the minutia. They need to focus in on that because that's their job. Their job is to focus on the minutiae. Um, but you, as the leader, as the manager, your job is, as Phil pointed out, to take that step back and have the strategic view of everything that's going on. Now, that is not necessarily to say that the frontline worker can't take that step back and have a strategic view. In fact, they actually address that and they say uh, fairly fairly often in the... Um, in, in the uh, in the book is you a leaders need to push down that strategic view down to the frontline workers because the frontline workers is, is one of, so here, here's here's one of the in, interesting things like people need slash want a reason for why they are doing what they are doing okay They also um, want to know how to target uh, success. Yes. Yes. Um, I had a, a manager a long time ago. So we were in um, in a uh, in the shipyard uh, working, and uh, the shipyard is filled with a lot of former uh, military people, um, specifically Navy. And one of the things that everybody from the military like. Didn't necessarily like was qualifications. Um, you have to go through qualifications to be allowed to operate certain equipment and stuff in the military, and do certain jobs. And one of the one of the biggest things that they just didn't like is that and so when they got into uh, the private sector and they saw that oh we don't have to do this cool great I don't have to jump through bureaucratic hoops to go and do all of these other things and that's what like that is great that is nice but one of my managers what he one of the first things that he did when he became um, a director and, and high, high up is institute qualifications and push people to do go through it and, and the reason he He did that, and it's a very good reason, is if you want people to do a job, you have to tell them what is expected of them. And these qualifications are how we do that. And it's a very, very good point where if you need to sit like you need to be sitting down as a manager and 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 a leader and giving people clear vision of what you expect out of them. If you start doing, if you don't do that, and the people are going to end up being very, uh, feeling very lost. And when they feel, when people feel lost, a bunch of different things happen. One, they need to be held. Unfortunately, that's the probably a really good way of putting it. Um it's essentially what I, what I'm getting at is people need purpose and when you take that away from them it's very much in a job, a lot of things happen um, It's like that guy that I was talking about at the very beginning he he would just go down rabbit holes. And stuff because he didn't have a clear vision of what his purpose was. He only had an I like he had his vision of it, but my the company that I was uh, a part of, we didn't give him a good clear vision of what we expected of him. That's such a junior move, though. Now, granted, 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 there's a lot of other things going on with that guy. I'm just using that as a very basic example. So, like, just, hey, guess what? Phil's kind of, like, mildly agreeing with me, but not really. It's a very complex – like, it was a very complex situation. There were a lot of things that we could tease out of there if we wanted to. Um, (laughs) But, like, I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Fine. so you need to be able to, to give that to your frontline workers you need to be able to sit there and explain to them and help them understand why they are doing what they're doing because one of the worst things that you can do as a leader as a manager is to walk up to somebody and tell them to do something like you need to tell them to do something and why they are doing it if you do not have time to do that you need to go back and explain it to them later you absolutely need to because there are times where you come in and an emergency is happening and you're telling them I need you to do this right now. I need you to do it. I'll talk to you about it later and explain what's going on, but you have to do this because I have to go and deal with this and then I have to deal with other things. Like that there are times like when that does happen, but it's still on you to go in and and, and understand that. Now there's a dichotomy to this as well as Jocko loves to point out in a lot of his um, podcasts and stuff, and I'm going to be using his phrasing because it's Jocko and this is Jocko's book. Um, the not just it's not just the leader's job to to push that vision; it's also the frontline worker's job to ask the questions. And so if you are, as a frontline worker, are just going through the motions and stuff and you're perfectly content with that, that's okay. Like, Because sometimes some people go and they view a job as just a, a way to earn a paycheck to pay for a roof under their house. And if that's all the purpose that you need to do your job and do your job well, run with it. I don't care. Not on me, not on you. Like you have your purpose. Okay. But most people really aren't like that. Most people are very much along the lines like they get complained and frustrated about, "Ah, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? Well, then if you're complaining and getting upset about why are you doing something, you need to be asking your manager. Like that's that's a part of your responsibility as the frontline worker to be doing that as well, and that's one of the important aspects about all of this. And you, if you do not feel empowered to ask that question, there's something go- or something else going on. And that's another part of it too. Like the the leaders need to be able to empower their their subordinates to be able to ask those questions and make it so that they are allowed to do all of that and, and ask those. And if there if, if you do not feel that way, or when you do ask those questions, the leader gets frustrated and upset. You gotta sit down then at some point, maybe and talk to the leader and say, Hey, look, what is going on? Grab the beer, grab the head. Have a heart to heart, or bring the beer and head
1: together. I was about to say that part. <laughs> um, <laughs> shove, shove them together, shove them together. The um, and sometimes uh, you know, what sometimes that's so true. You, you need to break bread sometimes with your leadership. Yeah, um, yeah. In the military, we they do this. Not we they do this a lot of times through intensive training, stressful situations, and repetition. Therefore, breaking down the breaking down the the person's. Um, independent spirit. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that shows them that uh, this is what failure looks like. Get used to it and learn to avoid it and uh, a lot of that training that they talked about we talked about in the last call where they they really give you some situation where you just can't handle it yourself yes. and that teaches you to work with those above you work with those below you um i want to see what your thoughts on this i circled this one Oops, and wow. this is a quote from jocko he goes Uh, My ego took no offense to them. uh, And uh, let me paraphrase what this was about. The Delta team that we're talking about had had to choose a new location and to move to uh, a, a new spot because the choice they made during planning was a bad choice. Mm -hmm. It's not really Jocko's fault. It's not their fault. Or maybe it's both their faults, right? Who Mm -hmm. knows? But they're on the spot. They saw it was bad and they're empowered to make the choice to move. And Jocko had the responsibility of pushing up that information to everybody else. Yeah. Yep. And Jocko's uh, quote on this was, My ego took no offense to them calling the shots. I was proud to follow their lead and support them. Yeah. Now, knowing this, I mean, do, do your, do, if you're a leader, does your, do your downline guys know this?
0: So that's a very good question. And, and that's, I think that is a question that a leader should always be asking themselves. Um That you need. Yeah. Do, if it's true in the first place or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, so let, let's. So sometimes what you end up having to do in situations like that is to just give your um, your subordinates, uh, your frontline workers, a task to complete, and just say go do it, and then you come back, and then and then you see where they are at, um, and so um, sometimes for me a lot of it is it depends upon where they are at in their development and stuff so if you've got an extremely junior developer uh, I think I said this last time or, or in another episode or something if I have an extremely new developer somebody that just got done out of college or just got done with a boot camp things like that I what I want them to do is come to me with a plan for finishing or for doing their task like I want to see the plan before they actually start executing the code Um, whether that's pseudocode whether that's written out whether that's them just verbally talking about it and walking me through it i want to see that because that's where i can start providing immediate feedback and saying hey you're going down the right path or no you're not And, and a lot of that has to do with my experience with extremely junior developers where they go um they go and just run with something and then they put up a PR and it's like, nope, you got to redo the entire thing. Um, that's not like that's just not uh, fair to them. Now, when they're further along and they're more on the mid level uh, developer side and stuff, it, a lot of it tends to be, okay, here's this, go do that. And then I, I watch and I see. And I rein them in if I need to. And, and a lot of that kind of is going to be, um, it's a lot of that trust that needs to be built up with things. And they point this out. And maybe I talked about it last time, but I want to touch on it again. And you kind of talked about it too uh, with the breaking bread is you have to have open conversations you just have to have it. It is so important. Like they're one of my old companies, um, they have some core values. Let me see if they still have this one. As that, hold on. Well, uh, while you're looking that up, I'm I'm curious. I want to tease you on something. Um, open communication. Hold oh. that thought. One <laughs> of their. Co- one of their core values is open communication. Like everything is out in the open. They talk about it as much as possible. Now, granted, there are some times where things are not open, but just in general, like you're just talking and opening. And so, one of the things that I would say is if you are at a company and you start noticing and you notice that there's a lot of conversations that are happening essentially behind closed doors or um, they're not in the open, I kind of take that as a red flag. Like I kind of take that as a what are you what what is going on with the company and so that ends up like destroying trust and if you don't have that trust and you don't have that um that trust in the people below you and the people above you it's very difficult to do what Jocko was saying there about the uh, about letting his team take the shots or make calls and make the appropriate stuff like you have to build that trust and you need that there.
1: Yeah, I don't. I think without the communication, you can't get there. Yeah. Um, you, it, first of all, you won't have faith in what they say in the first place yeah. until you talk to them. Yeah. Uh, because I, I'm curious what you think about this, and I've held out as long as I can. Oh boy! <laughs> oh, oh boy! No, no. This is. I'm not going to make even jokes about Hillary Hillary servers in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the sometimes okay as a as a leader in my companies i find that sometimes i have to allow a solution that i don't think is the the right or best solution Mm -hmm. and sometimes i just gotta say is it a is it a wrong or completely inappropriate solution Mm -hmm. Uh, what would it take to rebound from this and let them make the choice Mm -hmm. and it's what do you think about that like if you yes. see a less than optimal choice, do you allow it? Do you cut them at the uh, the knees
0: or what? So a very, very laser, laser focused example of this would be uh, pull requests. <clears throat> Whenever I get a pull request and I'm going through and I'm reading somebody else's code, it used to be for me where I was like, nope, it has to be this way. Um, But I have gotten to the point where I have to, uh, where I sit and I question, all right, is it worth the back and forth needed to get it to a certain way, my way? Is my way the absolutely most optimal way to do it? Very Zen question. (laughs) (laughs) And on top of that, on top of the, is it the most optimal is their way really that bad like is it that bad of code like is it going to cause us bugs and are we going to have to come back and fix this and do all these other things with it over and over again so the 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 thing is like i think i start thinking down those lines and those are all very amorphous questions like there is no hard fast rule for this but a lot of it is kind of like is what is the absolute worst case scenario if I let this go through and and very often it doesn't it's really not it doesn't exist like if the absolute worst case scenario is oh we just go through a few more cycle times on the CPU okay fine whatever we're, we're, CPUs are extremely fast these days most computer and cheap most computers don't really care and most phones are, are generally very good with that so it's whatever doesn't matter if it's going to but if it, if i look at it in the absolute worst case scenario and i can see it is a bug then i have to step in and i have to say something and it's the same and so to take that extremely focused example and bring it out a lot of it is very much i have to sit down and uh, and ask with people hey what is okay you're going you're going to do something i gave you a task to do and i gave you that task i trust you and again it goes back to the trust thing i'm i'm okay with it going down your or like i'm okay with going down your route that's not the way i would have done it but that's not the worst case scenario like you're you're we're still going to be fine on the other side and if there is a problem that pops up this is a teaching moment and that's the the other aspect of it is is like if something bad happens, can I use this and teach them something so that, and, and, and and, and, and sometimes what's interesting too is I I will look at something and, and I'll look at the way someone's doing it and I'll get like a little, um, a little bit of a bad feeling. I'll be like, yes, this doesn't feel quite right. This doesn't feel like, I feel like there's a better way of doing it or something like I'll get that. And I won't know what that is. I I, I won't. Like you won't understand uh, what that better way might be. I just know Until that you something- fall asleep and you already approve the PR and they say <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: you
0: know, not, not that. Um, it, it, I just look at it and I'm just like, eh, there's something, and I'll just still let them go and run with it and then when the thing when a bad thing does happen then it's like ah oh, i i there was something right to that feeling so then it's like okay i i reapproach it and be like you know what eh whatever just go with it so it, that it, that's the thing it, it, again it all <sighs> It all comes back to trust. It really does, especially decentralized command. Like, you have to be very, like, you have to trust the people under you very well. And if you, and and to be honest, like, it's one of those things where if you do not trust that person to do a good job and you feel like you have to go in and you have to start micromanaging them, my suggestion here is it would be don't um you need to sit down and actually have a good heart-to-heart conversation with that person and you have to have a good conversation with all right what is it that you want to get out of this and um, so someone's underperforming okay you have to sit down and, and you have to talk to them about that and, and and it may not be just one conversation it may be an ongoing set of conversations and it may like it may be, months and months of it where you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out why why is this happening and why like why are you not performing at the most optimal i know you can do better like that type of a thing um and, and that's one of the things that i run into a lot when, with students and things like that it's like why are you not learning this what's going on what is that disconnect for you probably that they're trying to do 10 minutes of work between playing video games watching youtube and then forget about work classes for two weeks well, it's Not ten minutes of work. They're trying to do um, five hours worth of work within ten minutes. Yeah. And and that that's actually one of the big, one of the hardest things to to teach and work with people is very and it's very much a junior dev type thing or just a junior thing in general. Is they try to tackle the whole problem at once. People try to do that all at once, and you cannot do that. And you you as a leader have to work with them to try and break it down into something smaller and, and much more manage manageable. And it's just sometimes it's very difficult to do. So, <laughs> um, and, and to to
1: back up just a step,
0: the um, yeah,
1: I <laughs> yeah, spouted a lot there. No, no, you had a lot. I was I was just like a rubber duck. This is exactly. I wanted to play devil's advocate, but I couldn't find anything good to chew on. Um, you, when you build trust trust is built. Let me say it that way. Nobody, nobody gets default trust. A new CEO doesn't get default trust. A new company owner doesn't get default trust. Nobody does. You, and you often build trust through some kind of trial, uh, breaking bread or fighting through something together. Um, and those, to me, are the, the big ways to, to develop trust. And you have to develop trust in a way that's not fake and artificial, but in a, in a way that's mission-oriented and uh, structured to end goals and to the mission, mm-hmm. whatever that is, to, to the intent of the
0: company, I think. So that is actually is something that I've been considering a lot lately, is the whole idea of trust. When my consideration is going down along the path of is there a certain level? My dog's having some sort of a dream. She's struggling. <laughs> um, is there some level of trust? that you begin with? Is there a baseline level that you that you start with? So for example, when you go in and you're doing a job interview, um, a lot of the job interview process is to build up that trust between you as the potential employee and them the potential employer they need to create trust that you can do the job that they want you to do and you need to create trust with them that they can provide you with what you need to be what you need um so i like it's one of those things that i'm wondering when like I'm wondering if there is a specific level of trust that you that every relationship, every conversation, every team begins with, whether that's like just a small amount or um or not. And then you, I'm wondering, like I'm just thinking and wondering right now out loud about some of this stuff. Uh, not necessarily, like you don't necessarily need. To address, although I feel like you might have a comment or two. You know I'm going to have fun with that. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to hold my breath while you finish your thoughts. Yeah, so I mean, I I'm, I'm still like putting it all out there. Like there, there's just keep, certain, keep going. Give me what to chew on. Well, I feel like there's a certain level, a certain baseline level of trust that you enter into with a lot of people. Um, and, and I think, all, uh, I think especially yeah, and I think like that actually baseline place. trust is negative. You think so? Okay. So, in my view, tends to um, I I think that so I think that there is a baseline level, and I think that you um, start building it up as you are you are having conversations with people and you're talking with them and stuff. I also believe that that baseline level of trust can be very much influenced by. Everything going on and people around you. So, for example, if we, you and I were to go to a conference and there was somebody there that I knew, um, and I would want you, I could influence your le- baseline level of trust with that person by talking to you about them. Uh, I could either like talk bad and, and t- talk to them, um, talk to you about how they screwed me at some point. Uh, Or I could talk really good and and increase that baseline level of trust by talking about how they brought me business and, and this business was really good or some things like that. Like I think that you can you can walk into conversations with with it, and I think that can be influenced one way or the other. I just I don't necessarily know that we always have a zero level of of trust. I don't think like I, I don't think the baseline when you walk into a a relationship with somebody because all all communication all interactions are relationship oriented um i don't think we always walk in with a zero level i think we walk in with a lot of preconceived notions about things that when we look at somebody we that like sends off triggers and stuff in our heads and that then that zero either goes positive or as you pointed out goes negative i think that that's where where my head is at right now, and that was just me like really going going around and stuff. Cool. I'm gonna have fun with this then. Ooh,
1: yay! <laughs> where, where to start? Okay, so don't. <laughs> no, no, I have to. I have to. This is gonna be fun. So when you, a lot of salespeople like doing chasing yes, yeah. right? Yep. Um, and they think if I can get a few yeses they'll yeah. just keep that. Yes. Train rolling. Yep. Um, this is obviously the worst technique in the history of man, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The only person that likes to hear yes, is the kid doing wrong things when he knows he's doing the wrong things. <laughs> <laughs> so every the, you, I believe we start off with automatic, no, which is essentially a, a negative trust. So, so if I'm coming to you and I, and I, and I'm looking for a question, I'm like, is right now a terrible time to talk to you? Right. Hmm. Versus where I hope you say no. Okay. I'll suffer you a little bit versus, Hey, is now okay. Time to talk to you. Right. Can I, Mm -hmm. can I talk to you where you have to say yes. Right. Do you have a few Hmm. minutes for me? That yes is so much harder than the no. Okay. Right. Uh, so that the the to answering no to this question is easier, and I'm not trying to present the sales value of this, but the argument is automatically by saying no, we realize that it's we're inclined to the to the negative, we're inclined to not trusting entirely. It's hard to open up, mm-hmm. right? Now, obviously in the case where we're, we're, uh, looking at somebody you've hired, you've built up the trust and you built up the relationship. Um, another way to look at this is, um, in a, in a relationship with somebody new, right? Love, uh, doesn't, um, Love is different than lust, right? You don't you you can go into a relationship at a bar, left lusting after somebody, and have zero trust in them, right? <laughs> so but does. it's exciting, and you get a lot of good feelings from it for a while, right? But it has nothing to do with the negative or positive relationship. It's the kind of momentary, instant reward. Where we want to develop trust and relationship, this takes time. This is, you have to, uh, as quickly as possible, get over, in my opinion, get over the romantic period and get into a relationship where you understand what uh, each other's
0: needs are and what the standards are. So I would and rephrase, I, trial. I would rephrase romantic and say uh, infatuation. Um, I like both. Well, I, I don't, because, so, to- you can still enter, like, you, so, you can hmm. the infatu- infatuation stage in a relationship. So, first off, let me point out it took us almost an hour to get to uh, talking about relationships. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we always will up- so grow in that conversation. <laughs> what? Repeat that.
1: I said, we're so outgrowing talking about
0: relationships. We're moving on to lust. We're never going to outgrow relationships because everything is relationship. Everything is relationship oriented. I like, like, any sort of relationship, you end up starting, or not maybe not any sort, but a lot of relationships, you always end up starting in a in an infatuation stage, and I think in that infatuation stage ends up running out. I like the uh, I like to use that phrase instead of romantic, because I feel uh, I feel like, and I think you can continue a romantic relationship with somebody throughout the years. It's just not going to be like that that infatuation romantic. It's going to be that. Oh, you know my love language and you did something today after ten years of marriage that really um really uh leans into my love language. Like you really met that today. I feel romantic. like this feels romantic to me, like that type of thing. I That's like why. it when you talk about love languages. <laughs> it is actually it is a very good book, uh and very good it way of good book. It's a good book. <laughs>
1: I I think there's a lot of value to, re, um, in every relationship, you go from your imaginary picture of yes. what what's happening, yes. and you replace it with another imaginary picture of how you feel it based off how it relates to you. Yep, yep. And I wish I could say yeah, you, you go from this imaginary picture to reality. Nobody does everybody goes from
0: one imaginary picture to how they feel they're they're being heard i do want to um caution that so there is a reality like there is reality um what's a woman there's truth like truth with a capital t and so the whole the whole idea is that We, If you are not trying – so this kind of veers off into life lessons and and life pursuits. If you are not trying to push yourself or veer yourself into pursuit of that reality or pursuit of that truth, you're going to end up sticking with that initial uh, view that Phil was talking about with with things like all the time. And that is a very immature way to view the world and a very immature way to – <laughs> to to conduct relationships because if you are pursu- like if you are pursuing getting to know somebody or getting to know the reality of the situations and stuff your perception of reality should then be changing if your perception of reality is like just static and and you notice it you you have some growing up to do so that's my I like that you really
1: took the the fact that there is a truth out there and made fun of static reality
0: at the same time. Yes, that's cool. To, well, because, to conflict those two concepts is beautiful because that's the thing: is uh, perception really is reality? Um, your perception of the world is your reality of the world, and you need like this. This is very like very much heavy philosophy stuff. Um, you and, and it's extremely important for you to recognize. That. I'm going to tease you about reality versus your personal conception model but that's what i'm essentially talking about like you're so like there there's like i said there is reality okay there's there's reality and this, it's true the gravity will hurt yeah, if you jump gravity, gravity we can take gravity as a really awesome example gravity here on earth is 9.8 meters per second squared that is a constant that is reality there is nothing that you can do to change that reality at this point Position on Earth, okay. You you cannot do that. There's nothing, at least as far as science is concerned. But but we can pers- like we can change the way we perceive that reality by doing certain things. Drugs. 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 Jumping off a roof, for example, <laughs> I mean, I'm dead serious about that. Like you can jump, make a jump, and you are not then at that for a certain amount of time. You are not perceiving gravity the way that somebody else is. That's just standing still is perceiving gravity. It's all about changing your frame of re- uh, frame of reference. It's all about changing your perception of reality. And, and like I said. The the biggest thing is that percep- your your perception is very much what defines your reality. There's like this whole discussion and stuff about your truth and your your view. I hate that phrase because in my- It's in so my- bullshit. It's so
1: yeah. bullshit. It's like, my reality is this and who are you to judge on my
0: reality, yeah. you Hitler? Yeah. <laughs> like, firstly they don't even know anything about right? Hitler's law. Godwin's law. We just pass, we just passed Godwin's law. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right?
1: Uh no, I I like the term and I'm going to check it out,
0: but Godwin's law, hold on. I'm going to like I'm going to give you the Godwin's law states that any online discussion that go goes on and on and on, the probability of a comparison to uh, Nazis or Hitler approaches one, and we just hit it. It took <laughs> us nine, took us nine episodes, however many hours, and we hit God Godwin's Law. Congratulations! <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had to hit it because I'm listening to <laughs> oh, some God. people debating, and
1: every debate with a certain group of people comes into your this
0: i'm like do you know what that is even again godwin's law like that's what it every all of anyway The, the uh, it's trying to rescue this conversation <laughs> you like there is true like that i don't like that phrase your truth your whatever because it does distort it and and the, it's not your truth it's your perception it's your view and sometimes your perception and your view is wrong. And so to actually kind of try, try to connect this a little bit to, um, uh, do you need to go or are we good? Okay, cool. No, um, no, we're
1: good. We're good. There's a lot of movement around and I like movement. It makes me happy. I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I just want I'm trying to hold back. I'm going to tease anyway, since I started talking, oh, no. uh, I love <laughs> it when you can say something is true. Unequivocally, and then change it the next day. Yes. And it's still true unequivocally even yeah. though yesterday you had that and you don't uh, realize that if you can change
0: truth it's not truth. Exactly. Exactly. It's, what would you call it? <laughs> I, I did, honestly I, I would call it a delusion. I that that's the, I I know I kind of just I kind of just went there but the thing you're
1: is She's so I love it. You hurt my feelings.
0: That but that's just it is so sometimes when your perception does not match reality and you and you are unable to change your perception to match reality, you need like that's when you need help. That's when you are in essentially in a delusional state because you're perceiving, like, I mean, a stupid example is all right, the sky is blue. Well, if you perceive the sky as green, there is something wrong. Your perception of reality, the sky being blue, is distorted so that the sky looks green and you are you cannot and and you cannot change that perception then you need to go and you need to make a like you need to make a change you need to 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 figure out why you are not able to perceive reality in the same way and in the correct way as people and 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 that's i i it's weird to say it that way like you because it kind of it uh, kind of it kind of implies also you have to go along with the crowd like that's not really what i'm i'm saying no no
1: it doesn't because um if you have there's no good argument for saying blue i I know it's blue i'm deciding it's green because that's what i want it to be yeah like even if you think even if you want to call that color green if everybody in the world says that pigment is blue And you think you see the blue in a different way. You don't. You just have to call it what everybody else calls it because that's language. (laughs) And you may not like the language. You can go create your own language, write a program to talk to it. Yeah. But it's still the same thing, right? Just because you want to call something else doesn't justify changing other people's reality to fit your
0: mood. Right. Right, and and seeing this is where negotiation comes into play. Like your negotiation, I'll bring him up. Jordan Peterson talks about this. Your per, your personality, your your place in society, your relationship with society is not a dictatorial thing. You do not dictate to society any of that stuff you you just don't it's a negotiation between you and society so you have to negotiate that stuff with them and so that's kind of like what what, what um when your when it, when your reality or your perception of reality does not match the rest of society it's not necessarily saying that you have to go along with whatever society is saying it's you have to you essentially have to sit down and negotiate with society to figure out what is the appropriate action to move forward on here And sometimes that really is you completely and utterly shifting your perception of reality to whatever society it is. Other times, it's society making the incremental step towards you. Like that—that happens every so often. I mean, we could take an example of um, women voting, for example. Uh, We'll we'll go there. Like for the longest time, uh, people didn't want people uh, (laughs) uh, to—they didn't want people, uh, women to vote. People just didn't want that, and it took a long time to. I still don't want it. You know, there's actually um, so one of the interesting things about that we're going to go on a mile tangent is there were a lot of women at the time who were against the suffrage movement because their perception was if we become if we are allowed to vote we get that right that means we have other responsibilities that come along with it. There is. And we we can have fun in this one. We could. I don't want to and go. He like, talks about this one actually. Yes, he does. Um and, and I like I don't want to really like dive deep into that because that's a whole other conversation. But the whole like a really good example of it is here in the US, all men eighteen and or and older have to register for the draft. Women do not. There actually has been movement lately to try and, and change that. Yeah, I think um, they should. I'm I'm with you nowadays
1: if there's no difference between a man and a woman, you can't define a woman anymore, put that hoe on the draft. Um, I'm that's with you. the worst
0: thing I've ever said in my life. Uh, you know, but like to be blunt about it, like I'm kind of with you on it. Now, granted, personally, I'm anti-draft. I don't think it's a good law. I don't think it's a good thing to have. I, I think it's I, a great
1: law. I think that oh boy. if you make <laughs> voting choices, if you don't rebel against your uh, governments when they're doing really bad choices. Uh, You deserve what you got.
0: I mean, but I'm like saying draft. I don't understand. I'm kind of confused now. So by allowing the government to do bad stuff, by shutting up
1: and not going out and protesting so much that they refuse to do bad wars, Mm -hmm. then you automatically deserve to get dead in wars by draft.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying now. Okay. I gotcha. Yep. But see. I'm it's natural selection. I see what you're saying. I still don't like the draft.
1: <laughs> um, actually, I, I I I think everybody should do um, two year service or two months or six often, months or something. Men, women, everybody should learn how to fight, how to communicate as a team, how to how to shoot, uh, how to
0: put something in a rucksack and walk two miles. I waffle back and forth on that honestly like i just i go back and forth on it i, I see i see the, i see the points on both sides of the argument uh, as far as the requirement so i just i go back and forth i it's kind of whatever but like kind of bringing the whole perception reality thing back to this decentralized command principle uh, or at least trying to attempt to do it because we really went out there with it is a lot of times um you as a leader like you have to have uh, that thousand foot level view of what's going on you have to have that um that that uh, vision of things because you need to perceive all of the reality of the situation. Whereas the frontline people have to only perceive like the little, like that little minutia area of it. And so it's very important, like that's very important. And that's why like pushing things up and down the chain of command is super important too. And that's one of the, part, part of the whole building trust and things like that, because you have to trust that the people below you are gonna push things up to you and you are, and they have to trust that you are gonna push things down to them. So, uh, it's just trying to put a little bit of a, a bow on the re- the uh, reality discussion. <laughs> I think, um, okay, perfect. I, I think that um,
1: decentralization is not a cure to better micromanage people. True. I, I think it's about letting go yes. and having the process to let go in a, a responsible way yeah. That leads to success without trying to have to uh, have the super leaders, the yeah. super creatives, the brilliant minds at the top of the food chain. It's it's a way to develop your leaders, develop everybody's focus in a way that they push up what it needs to be known so that the leader above them can take a smaller amount of data and make a better decision based off of the their sphere
0: of uh, perception you are yeah yep i think that's a really nice way to put it and at that i'm going to say let's 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 leave it all right We, we have hit this topic pretty hard and we've talked about it from multiple perspectives and everything. I think we could continue talking about team structure and everything with like decentralized command over and over and over again. Um, and I think we will. Um, but we are, I think that I think this is a really good situa- uh, way to leave it. And with that being said, um, I'm going to say let's switch over to the paid side of the uh discussion and we will uh talk to all y'all all all you uh freeloaders (laughs) later (laughs) all right everyone that's it for this episode but our discussion didn't end here we actually went on for another hour or so if you would like to hear the rest of that discussion or the full unedited podcast please head on over to two dudes with an opinion.locals.com that's two the number 2 dudes with an opinion.locals.com and for the just the price of a cup of coffee you can hear that full unedited version and if you want to talk to Phil and I directly uh, just buy us a you know trip to McDonald's that's it that's all we ask anyway if you enjoyed this and like what we are doing please leave us a five star review in apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast that really helps us in the charts if you didn't enjoy it well well i'm sorry you can just drop phil a line and and let him know what you what you thought and his uh, email is in the podcast notes so just let him know We would like to hear from you before you go please hit that subscribe button so you can get the latest episode from us Otherwise, you can find all of our social media uh, in the podcast notes if you want to connect us with us there. If you do all that, we'll continue bringing you these great episodes, these great discussions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you later.